Young teacher, the subject of schoolgirl fantasy. She wants him so badly, knows what she wants to be. Morag Thong Earthlets, my name is Conrad alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 56th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for October 1980, progs 180 through 183. This week, the Judge Child concludes, Johnny Alpha goes full Godwin, and Tharg deals with robo-labor relations. Which, yeah. Hey, why not? I guess so. <laughs> so, let's get, this, let's get this episode started with Thrill One, Strontium Dog. You know what feels real good? Cruising through the desert on a weird motorbike with my buddy... And my weird alien friend. Absolutely. Script robot for Strontium Dogs, Alan Grant. Art robots, Carlos Escara. Letter robot, Steve Potter. I thought I was bad until I met Willie Blanco. Says the sign that's being held up and suspended through a skeleton's face. That's right. It's not a pretty sight. <laughs> Johnny, Johnny Alpha, Wolf, and the Gronk are on the search for, for Willie Blanco, a wanted man. Who's been leaving psychic messages in people's heads for fucking Johnny Alpha. Yeah, psychic messages of Johnny Alpha's own gravestone. Oh my god. So, the Gronk is putting on a brave front until his (laughs) shadow starts to move. And punch him in the face. Yeah, it turns out that uh, shadow beings that follow you around infest these hills. Also infesting these hills are Blanco's goons. Oh my god, they've got, like, the leader has, like, a star tattooed on his face. This was a bad tattoo decision, I'm just saying. They're a bunch of crazy-ass space goons, like, absolutely. You know, sometimes I guess you just gotta make poor choices with your life. That's how you end up as a goon for a weird alien guy on a far-off planet, absolutely. Fucking fair. Luckily, the tracer that's currently attached to one of those goons is also like a stun bomb, which allows <laughs> our our buddies, the Strontium Dogs, to get the drop on the goons with a well-placed number four cartridge causing a landslide. I think this is the it's, first... Okay. Uh, it's a really huge explosion. <laughs> yeah, this is the first time I think we're seeing uh, Johnny Alpha's cartridge numbers, where number four is the highest and most powerful cartridge, and then mm. lower numbers are slightly less powerful and all that stuff. I'll be honest, I'm not really sure when you wouldn't want to use number four but you know i bet you only have i bet they're like expensive or you only like they sort of take up a certain amount of ammo or something like that i gotcha but still the explosions oh yeah yeah it causes a landslide and takes those goons out um johnny johnny uses his eyes to interrogate one of the dead henchmen and they continue on to blanco's base where they find a grave dug for Johnny Alpha, complete with gravestone, and Johnny Blanco and a bunch of his men. Blanco has no arms! Which, uh, pretty great, because, yeah, clearly he didn't from the last time we had this conversation, but I do appreciate the showmanship of him actually digging a grave and then, like, waiting for them to show up. Oh, definitely. It's very, That's... uh, classic villainry. Yeah, very good super, yeah. You know you're a good supervillain when you employ a mason to freak out your enemies. <laughs> so it's showdown time. Uh, Johnny and Wolf make quick work of Blanco's goon. Uh, others, uh, new new goons. 
But <laughs> you need when, new goons. I mean, you need a bunch of goons. When Johnny punches Blanco himself, Blanco deflates like a, a balloon. Oh, God, it's just his gross fucking skin. What in Dare Cucumber? Johnny, yeah, man. Johnny then remembers that Blanco is, in fact, an alien morph thing. He goes through changing cycles, and he must have just started a new one, so he's, like, in a cocoon somewhere else in this area. Suddenly, strangely relevant information. Yeah. The, I mean, they definitely haven't said that he's an alien up until this point, so whatever. Um <laughs> The boys uh, uh, track Blanco to a nearby cave, which is full of thousands of Blanco cocoons, most of them empty. (laughs) Which one could it be? They start smashing cocoons, but it's (laughs) taken forever, man. They don't got a million years. Plus, by the time he it it hatches, he could come out and be a weird thing. Yeah, and then you're never gonna, I guess, get him. But yeah. don't worry, Shadow Guy's on the case. Yeah, Gronk's buddy, the Shadow Creature, is attracted to living beings and identifies the cocoon with Blanco in it. But it's too late! Oh, I'm gonna turn into a weird skeleton bug. Yeah, the, the cocoon hatches to reveal Blanco has changed into an indestructible skeleton monster thing. Bullets just bounce off it. Without options, Johnny Alpha hits... Blanco with Johnny Blanco or whatever with a uh, or Willie Blanco with a time shrinker, which which that's awesome. Yeah, warps the monster fifteen years into the future, turning it, causing it to instantly morph into its next cycle of life, which is a huge gross worm. Oh, gro- it's really not the greatest thing. It's got like weird barnacle holes all over it. Yeah. Luckily, gross. this huge gross worm version is easily electro-nuxed and destroyed. <laughs> and then you just gotta crush the rest of the things. Yeah. So they uh, they bury Blanco in Johnny's grave and destroy the headstone. Time for the next mission. It's pretty great. And I guess uh, that's where we enter the million dollar credit bounty. Definitely. Yeah, welcome to the doghouse. Which uh, is apparently it's just crazy looking people being all nuts and wanting money. Absolutely. So yeah, welcome to the doghouse. It's a big space station where an overworked civil servant named Harvey hands out contracts to the masses of mutated strontium dogs. And I mean, these are people with access to a bunch of like intense stuff and are maybe not completely on the up. So I can see why he's just like stressed out. <laughs> Definitely. The things to follow are like oh. They're kind of criminal. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Um, most of the dogs here aren't like, I would say, they aren't like the famous Strontium dogs that we'll see as the years go by with this feature. Um, there's but like, there's some that are okay. There's a guy like, uh, but, so, anyhow, all the, uh, all the contracts are pretty minor right now in the doghouse, except for one that comes through for a cool million credits. Uh, like, everybody wants it. Guys like uh, Vorm, Slabhead, Armstrong Jones, and Big Cynthia. And as you were saying, Armstrong Jones has a really big arm growing out of his head. That's right. All every if you if you don't got a pun man, then I don't I don't think you can make it as a strong team dog. So that's pretty fair. The dogs all toss their badges into like a bin for a random drawing for the contract. But then immediately all the Strontium dogs start cheating as well. <laughs> and, and like Johnny Alpha and, uh, and Wolf are like talking about it like, all right, we got to cheat like real fast. Yeah. So uh, Vorm Slabhead swaps out the bin for a bin full of just his badge. Which, I mean, 
you know, smart unless somebody checks even remotely close. Yeah, and then Jones and Cynthia, Armstrong Jones and Big Cynthia, cut a hole in the in the in the in the ceiling beneath where the badges where the badge bin's gonna be, and they're gonna lift an arm up through the bottom of the bin and hand Harvey their badge. Which, all right. So the thing I love, you write that uh, Johnny Alpha and Wolf also decide to cheat. And they see these guys doing this stuff, and they're like, damn, that was plan A and plan B. <laughs> like, that was what they right. were going to do, too. Yeah, it's it's great, because this is a million-credit bounty, and the only other one that they discussed were, like, a thousand. Yeah. So what do they do? They find the guy and smack him with a hammer. <laughs> Hit him with the hammer, then use Johnny Alpha's mind pow- uh, powers to mind-whammy him so that they'll say his name. he'll say his name no matter what. Which, I mean, pretty smart, to be yeah. honest. But as the drawing arrives, things get tense when badass killer strontium dog Styx arrives, and he wants in, too. Yeah, he uh, he seems like an ominous figure who probably isn't uh, completely the biggest fan of Johnny Alpha or Wolf or the Gronk. Reckon. Styx, <laughs> Styx tries to stare down Harvey to call his name, but a well-placed drop of Wolf's happy, happy stick, his uh, sledgehammer, uh... Breaks sticks concentration and Alpha gets the contract. As several fights break out, as basically everybody says, Johnny Alpha, Johnny couldn't have won because of my cheating. <laughs> They're like, wait, you cheated? You cheated? You know, those kinds of fights. Exactly. It's just hilarity ensues. Yeah. A bunch of people with noses for faces or like tiny heads on a, basically looks like a penis. Mm-hmm. Like, Tons of weird people start beating the shit out of each other. It's great. Yeah. But then everyone gets squirreled off that's important and we get revealed to some million dollar Styx declares this isn't over and Johnny gets the mission. They're going back in time to arrest some German dude, I guess? Adolf yeah. Heitler? Whatever. It's, it, look, it's this guy. He's got a weird mustache. Yeah, it looks like the weirdos at the Committee for Ultimate Retribution have hired... Uh, Johnny and Wolf to travel back to 1945 and bring Adolf Schickelgruber, a.k.a. Adolf Hitler, back to the future so he can uh, stand trial. So bring him back before he can kill himself, basically. To be honest, I kind of want to be on the Council for Ultimate Retribution. (laughs) It's cool. They seem cool. But that's why... It's kind of like great work. Like You just decide who gets Ultimate Retribution. Mm -hmm. But that's why this story is called the Schickle, the Schickle Gruber job. I see. So, the boys, along with the Gronk, they head into the past as other Strontium dogs give them the stink eye. They're going to mess with the bounty, it's pretty clear. The, oh, yeah. the team arrives in Berlin in the final days of the war. Kids and hardened fighters tr- are trying to hold off the streets of Berlin from invaders, but they're no match for the stun blasts of Johnny and Wolf. You gotta stun them. Or else you'll mess up the timeline if you kill them. They, Not a great situation if you do that, as we've seen. For sure, yeah. They steal a car, and they blast their way into Hitler's bunker from above. Next episode, Malice in Bunker Land. Looks like a pretty good setup, to be honest. Damn, strong team, Doc. It's pretty exciting, I gotta say. As I've said before, anytime you're like willing to hunt Hitler... Especially, like, 2000 AD, I feel like, will handle this surprisingly schlocky, so I'm, I'm pretty excited. Oh, dude, listen, there's about to be some, some excellent times with Hitler, that's all I'm going to say. Oh. oh, my God. Hey, by the way, for any listeners that haven't, there's an Australian show by Danger 5 that I've mentioned before. 
I can't stress enough that Danger 5 Seasons 1 and 2 are amazing. If you like this comic, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, recipe for a perfect cocktail. Mm. Oh my god. But hey, and since many cocktails use ice, which can melt, and speaking of melting, Fox! (laughs) Wow. Thrill to Meltdown Man. That was, uh... That was impressive. Sometimes you got to chase your tail a little bit to do it. I'm not too proud to do so. Uh, <laughs> I'm proud of you. So, script robot for Meltdown Man, Alan Hebden, art robot, Massimo Bellardinelli, learning robot, Jack Potter. Okay. Nick Stone, he's already melted. Stop asking. <laughs> he's <laughs> in a weird alternate dimension full of uh, where these uh, various furry beings are um, slaves to humans. Kind of hot. Oh man! So <laughs> the so we joined with the evil Leishar from La, um, explaining the actions of time, of dimension traveler Nick Stone from last episode to a bunch of like upper crust rich folk types, and they're like, "Oh, you can't be this hard on him. He's a human." But and once he finds out that he's sided with the UGs against humans, they immediately say, "Send him to the vats! To the vats!" Yep. Put him in those vats. What the frick are vats? Yeah. Leishar goes, Leishar goes to do this, but in his mind, he's also planning on taking over from these guys soon. Meanwhile... Yeah, that's why he has all these predator UGs on, oh yeah. on his payroll. Absolutely. Meanwhile, this uh, cat lady, Liana, is threatening Nick and uh, is in turn threatened by Gruff the Wolfman. And this just kind of goes on for a little bit while yeah. cats and dogs fight. It's definitely a like a, a through line through this whole thing. So Nick breaks it up, and we learned that Liana is also getting mental images from Kanita, the uh, eagle thing. Yeah, Kanita, uh, the eagle thing. I don't know. Leishar's goons are coming, so they have to go. Um, as the aristocrat attracts the the, the tree, uh, as the aristocrat attracts, as the aristocrat attacks, the trio makes a break for it. Jumping down, uh, they make their way to the city walls and escape into the countryside. Leishar follows in a sweet six-wheeled skull car with his oh, main yeah. henchman, the Tiger Commander, as the trio. Dude, who, who, by the way, like, so they they tricked their way out of the out of the city walls yeah. by by like. Uh, We're just kind of saying, like, hey, like, like I'm hey. a yeah, I'm a human. Let me go. Yep, and then as they're driving in this giant six-wheeled car, the tiger monster that's with Leishar is like, You city guard! You fucked up, so go to the vats! <laughs> it's like, great. He's just a screaming, angry tiger man. Yeah, the trio is He's then... my con- favorite UG. Definitely. As the trio is confronted by a minotaur um, <laughs> named T-Bone the Vat Man, he says that the vats are waiting! Oh, yeah. He's really into vats, yeah. as we find out. But it turns out T-Bone's just fooling around, no worries. Uh, but <laughs> Leishar is, is hot on their heels, so Nick and the guys go into the vats to hide. As Leishar arrives, the vats are huge! Yeah, they, you just dump things like corpses and UGs into it, I guess. Yeah, they recycle all living matter, but it's pretty, te- uh, it's pretty terrifying, especially because they send... Living UGs, like the old, the infirm, and the lawbreakers into them as well, usually dosed with a spray of happy gas. Yeah, it's kind of fucked. It definitely... Just a little bit. Definitely messed up. Liana says, like, hey, like, you know, we understand that you gotta recycle the bodies, but do you have to throw us... throw living people into the vats to be recycled? That's ridiculous. 
And, of course, T-Bone's like, I mean, it's a living. I'm just following orders. I'm a big bull guy. Uh, it's a giant club. I love Minotaurs, dude. But, um... Yeah, they're so, sweet. Yeah, a fight breaks out among the vats, and soon they are wrecked by the weapons fire. T-Bone agrees to join the party now that his life's work has been destroyed, and Lishar goes back to the drawing board to track down Stone. He's going to consult King Seth for answers, who turns out to be a giant cobra, Yuji! Oh my god, but he's kind of given off that creepy evil vibe. He's definitely as evil as a, ki- as a cobra named King can be. Yeah. Fair. So, it looks like King Seth is also kind of a psychic, and basically sort of an opposite evil number to Kanita. Yep. Liana senses his spying, and we learn and we learn the backstory, which is basically, yeah, agreeing with it that he's basically an evil Kanita. <laughs> and yep. as back at the Citadel, we see Seth trying to take control of Lishar until Tiger Commander breaks it up. Dude, Tiger Commander is so... He's like, I'll fucking kill him! And Lishar's like, wait, I'm snapping out of it. Don't do that. We need him. It just it reminds me of Steven Universe's um, pro wrestling character, Tiger Millionaire, as well. Oh, <laughs> it's pretty, pretty accurate. So, the uh, the team is getting kind of hungry. It's time to get some <laughs> so food. So, the cow chews cud. Yeah, but everybody else has to go hunting. Gr- uh, Gruff and Nick go out hunting. Liana goes for a swim to also catch some fish. But in the water, oh yeah, but in the water, she's attacked by a bunch of crazy beaver men. Or were they just peeping? We're not quite sure. I mean, something. Luckily, she's saved by Percy, their elephant boss. Who's awesome. He's just like, pushes over and breaks a tree and he's like, you beavers, get your ass back to work building this damn. Wearing like, like pants and like a checkered shirt and stuff. It's kind of cool. But so apparently elephants and beavers are this big work team for building a huge dam because the beavers can cut down the trees and the elephants are strong enough to move the trees around. Yeah, it seems like a good combo if you're trying to build wooden dams. Yeah, and Nick theorizes how basically all these UGs need is someone to organize them and they can take over the world from humans because of how lame humans are. And you know what? He's probably started a few cues in his time, so... He's, a SAS, he's an SAS guy with an eye patch. I feel like he's seen some shit. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Lishar forces Seth to give up Stone's location, and Kinita warns Stone about it. Lishar's death copters appear on the horizon, and they destroy the dam as our heroes escape with seconds to spare. Death copters are always such bad news when you're trying to just get the fuck out of Dodge. Oh, they're so cool. They got like 50 skulls on them. So it's the, <laughs> important. The dam is blown, and our heroes barely make it to safety. They're attacked by mink men, just as Stone's snipper gun, like, sort of malfunctions because it's wet. But Nick knows that Yuji's can fight back if you try, and he just straight up judo kills one of the mink of the mink men, and that inspires T-Bone the Minotaur to get fighting. Uh, he uses a chain! Anytime chains are used to whip the shit out of people, I'm down. He's just like, wa Definitely. Uh, Gruff and Liana are separated from Nick and T-Bone, floating downstream on a log. They see the elephant foreman of the dam, Percy, get angry at Lishar for destroying the dam he's been working on for all this time, and he uses mighty trunk to throw a tree at Lishar's helicopter. Damn you, slave master! But then Tiger... Tiger guy in like kind of an awesome crossbow. Yeah, just straight up, straight up tags Percy twice in the chest with a crossbow, killing him. 
Dude, it's an explosive crossbow, too. He's not fucking around. Yeah. Then the helicopter crashes into a UG town. Meanwhile, Stone has hijacked another uh, uh, death cop, death helicopter with a chimpanzee pilot. He picks up the cat and the dog, Gruff and Liana, and they're headed to meet Kinita. In That's the sweet. Yeah, in the Yuji town, the villagers yell at Lee Shar for their destroying their homes until the tiger commander eats their spokesman. Yeah, because you don't fucking talk back to a human like that, I guess. Definitely. These two guys resolve to go yell at Seth for the plan not going right. We cut to Seth, who's apparently running some kind of long con to take down Kinita. Next episode, Caverns of Blood. You know... I I don't know if I'd like take a vacation to the Caverns of Blood. It's definitely it not sound that fun. Yeah, it's like going to like Death Valley or something like that. You know, you got to know that there's other stuff to see there because the name isn't isn't really selling it. You know. Yeah, maybe it's got like a nice restaurant or something, but I don't You'll know, see. man. Like the Blood <laughs> Caverns themselves, probably not exactly what you want to go and see. It's true. So I'm I'm really digging Meltdown, man. Um, it's sort yeah. of. Although part of it does kind of remind me of um of the la- of the last period of, of late period Dan Dare just because this feels very sort of modern video gamey yeah like if you were put together like a a, a party in like I don't know like it like a Planescape or like a Baldur's <laughs> Gate or something like that you know you have Stone yeah. he's the leader. You have your uh, support some support character with Liana. You got kind of a of a high offense melee DPS guy with Gruff, and then a tank with um with T Bone. You know, that's they're, pretty fair. It's a very tuned computer RPG party right here. <laughs> they're ready to do some damage by fulfilling specific roles within the team. They are ready to reject monetary rewards in favor of getting an alignment boost. Yes. So (laughs) (laughs) let's go on a quest and free some UG. Definitely. But hey, speaking of possible alignment changes, Fox (gasps) thrill three judge dread. And holy crap. How do you start a judge dread? I guess just by, cool-ass volcanoes exploding near an awesome techno tower. That's right. So, uh, script robot for Judge Dredd is John Wagner and Alan Grant writing as John Howard. Then, um, and then Alan Grant and Kelvin Gosnell writing as Alvin Gaunt. Uh, <laughs> art robots are Ron Smith, Brian Ballin, and Mick McMahon. Letter robot, a Tom Frame. Tom Frame! Frame power! So... We we start with learning about the Grunwalder, who is a crazy robot emperor. He's ruling from a castle surrounded by molten lava. And he looks super sweet because he's like golden armor and got like a cool cape. Definitely Ron Smith drawing him as complicated as possible in a very cool way. <laughs> the Angel's Dune Buggy can no longer continue in the heat. And Pa Angel, who is injured by Dredd's bullet last episode, will continue to the Grunwalder's Citadel while Junior stays behind to take out Dredd, as he's the baddest of the angels, and thus the baddest man that ever lived. They have, uh, him and Pa have, like, a heart-to-heart, where he's just like, you've always been the insane, murdering, horrible child that I've tried to raise as an insane, horrible, murdering child my whole life. You really make me proud, son. He's like, I'm the best. I'm going to murder them all, all of them, everybody. Pie Angel has a surprisingly good relationship with his sons. That's all I'm trying to say. 
Yes, yeah, I mean, clearly a good father if they, I mean, just if you have sociopaths for sons yeah, that are I mean, sociopaths. You know, yeah, if you want, they're definitely the best raised family of murderers you, you could have ever hoped for. <laughs> yeah, they definitely eat dinner together and murder yeah, together. definitely. <laughs> so, um, Dredd drops off old Joe blind and continues on foot, but as he does, Junior sneaks up from behind and finishes old Joe blind off. Dude, he comes from out of the ground where he had an oxygen pill on his tongue so he yeah. could breathe underground and it's, then just, like, fucking murders Joe. Yeah, both both th- th- that he could travel underground and they wouldn't show up on any sensors or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. So, it's time for a Dread Junior showdown. They fight along the, the lava-covered vistas along Grunwalder's castle, finally showing down on a rock bridge leading into the Citadel. They have a showdown. Make your play. Junior's fast, uh, but dread. It's a little like, oh, it's a little like Star Wars Episode Three. I'd say it's imagine. more sort of old, old Westy, although the lava does sort of, I guess, give it sort of having the high ground kind of I stuff. I mean, they're not like flying around on fucking like things and no. sailing on like little rock. Yeah, islands, it's a much more but... lo-fi version of it. <laughs> yeah. So. They show down. Junior's fast, but Dread is faster. He shoots Junior in the chest and then picks him up over his head and throws Junior into the lava as Pa Angel looks on. Even yeah. if you're Hell's own angel, the sentence is death. Dude, it was uh, it was pretty awesome. Just throws him right in. Just throws him right in there, dude. It's crazy. Hell's angel. Junior Angel falls into the lava, and Pa runs out to avenge him, guns blazing. The kind of as how the Judge Child predicted. It's absolutely. It's terrible. Yeah, the Judge Child waits before going into the Grunwalder Citadel to see Pa killed as well, though he actually uses his psychic powers to shield Pa from Dredd's bullets, and instead Owen Chrysler himself breaks the ledge Pa is holding on to, causing him to fall into the lava. The judge child has essentially killed Pa himself and laughs evilly over it. Kind of, uh, kind of bastardizing you there, buddy. Mm. The, um, Dredd fights his way into the Grunwalder's palace and confronts Owen. Dredd looks into the eyes of the judge child and sees only evil. The judge child isn't fit to rule Mega City 1, and Dredd leaves him a prisoner of the Grun- of the Grunwalder. Which, you know, the kid's not super happy about it. He's like, wait, 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 fuck, no! Yeah, the Justice One heads home empty-handed. Better Mega City One should be destroyed than ruled by an evil psychic. So ends the Judge Child saga. Mind you, the- he's got a little bit of scrutiny from the last two people on the team. And, like, he's got some credibility. The last time a dictator showed up, it wasn't super great. Yeah, de- I feel, yeah, definitely his actions with the, um, with Judge Cal gives him some credence. But counterpoint, like, you know, Hershey was close to Lopez, and she's got to feel bummed that, like, yeah. they have nothing to show for Lopez's death. And, like, just in general, they spent a lot of time and treasure going after this judge child and to come back without a kid... Well, you know, we'll talk about it in this thrill right here, actually. Uh, <laughs> Dredd is back in Mega City 1! Oh my god, it's time to go back to work. Yeah, he should be at his debrief for the Judge Child, but instead, he and our old pal Judge Giant roll oh, out yeah. to deal with a block war! 
Which uh, is awesome. In the Grand Hall of Justice, we see the Council of Five debating Dredd's actions. Before non-Chief Justice seems to be against him, especially Judge Hilda by God Magruder of the SJS. Yeah, she's uh, she's straight up like, this guy deliberately effed up. Everyone seems to be pretty against him. Yeah, definitely. Meanwhile, the uh, the Rita Tushingham and Ernest Borgnine blocks are at full-scale uh, block war. Uh, Fox, Rita Tushingham was an English actress, probably best known for a couple roles she had in the 60s. She was in like the uh, version of, of Dr. Juvago and stuff like that. Ernest Borgnine, of course, is from Airwolf. But... <laughs> best known for his contributions to airwolf that's right gunfire erupts up and down the sides of each one of these buildings his two skyscrapers next to each other and the whole buildings are shooting at each other as like guys swing from one building to another to fight people and stuff falling out to their death it's super awesome Dr- so hey how do you deal with that as a judge you just get like 20 judges together and you have all of them fire straight up in between the buildings yeah people start uh, quitting pretty fast this this quells the fighting as the council is in the midst of deciding they seem to be deciding to send another mission to recover the judge child from the grunwalder which would be second-guessing Ju- uh, Dredd's actions and probably force him to resign his post. Which, uh, you know, seems kind of odd for a dude who has pretty much, like, time and time again saved the city in different ways. Or I mean, tra- them second-guessing him, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, as this happens, Dredd orders everyone involved in the block war to turn themselves in. If you do it now, you'll get five years. If you wait more than ten minutes, it's ten years. Yeah, not great. Just go with the five-year sentence, guys. Definitely. And at this point, back at the council, Judge Griffin basically reminds him what you've been saying this whole time, is that Dredd's basically the best judge ever, um, especially as it relates to him identifying and fighting tyrants against Judge Cal. He was basically one of the only guys that identified Cal as a bad guy and then was instrumental in defeating him, like the guy that basically led to his defeat, you know? And so what does he do? He's like, hey, I don't do this often, veto. Yeah, he vetoes the thing. We just basically, so, and then, so basically as uh, um, hundreds of citizens (laughs) turn themselves in, like, stream out of the building with their hands up, turning themselves in, um, we basically decide that uh, Judge Dredd can be trusted in his judgment and that his word has extreme power, which I think is cool. Yep. Yeah. All's well that ends well? Sure. Maybe. (laughs) Which takes us to the Agrodome! Oh my god, this thing is... Not to be confused with the Agro Crack, from the Agro Crag from 90s game show on Nickelodeon, but whatever. Yep, that's exactly correct. It's a... uh, I forget you had to, like, climb up a dumb thing. Yeah, it was just a, a physical challenge kids game show. But mm. the, the uh, Agrodome is a place for citizens to blow off steam by destroying stuff. Dredd doesn't like it. Yeah, because he's, uh, he's just like, this is going to not end well. And hey, he's usually right. It's true. Yeah, there, there's a dateline for this story, which is 2120, which is like huh. s- 17 years from what the time should be, because it should be 2103. Oh. Because we started in, you know, 2099. That's been four years. I'm not sure if, like, this was something to remove this story from the Council of Five stuff, or if it's just uh, a typo. I'm assuming it's just a typo, honestly. Fair. People are angry, and the Dome is letting them work that anger off. 
until one guy has more anger than his time alive with the robot he's beating up, and so he starts beating <laughs> up people instead. Yeah, that doesn't really go well when you do it in front of a judge. Mm. Well, definitely, especially because the whole place now devolves into a huge riot with which dread qu- which dread manages to quell with a combination of determination, be- beating people up, and blowing up the actual dome. This is the second story in a row that ends with dread leading a massive procession of citizens to the cubes. Hey, man, he has not been here for a little while, and he needs to make up for lost time. Also, just a message to everybody. If you're so angry all the time that you actually need to, like, kick the shit out of things to feel better, it's time to talk to somebody about your anger issues. I'm just trying to say. Yeah, it's called a therapist. (laughs) Or, you know, if you're a little bit more new age, there's life coaches. There's tons of ways to, like, let off steam. Go run. Or, like, I don't know, smoke a cigarette or something. Do something. Don't just beat up a robot. (laughs) Plus, it would hurt. I mean, it's a robot. Don't punch a robot. Yeah, you know. Um, but hey, speaking of um, of uh, bottled up anger, Fox. Oh no! Non thrills, covers, nerve center, contests, mobile, and dash decent. God, there's just so much. <laughs> In Prague 180, Mick McMahon draws an excellent generic dread cover. Just him driving his lawmaster through Mega City One. In the nerve you know, sunset, it's yeah. beautiful. It's cool, you know. In the nerve center, Tharg the biker congratulates himself for the thrill power of Prague 178. Wow. As readers demand more 10-pound prizes and wonder why their version of the same three or four different Tharg pictures weren't printed. God. (laughs) Which may... uh, Uh, Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, there was also a really adorable stainless steel rat picture. Definitely. Which was not... Not of the actual stainless steel rat, but of a wind-up rat with a space helmet. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, but apparently there's like, if you went to IPC headquarters at this point, there or at, you know, two thousand the two thousand eighty offices, you find like five thousand pictures of Tharg the Punk. Like everybody's drawn that. Wow. All right. Um, there's also the second part and the instructions for the Dread Mobile. Oh God. And another badge to cut out to win your your uh, Dread T-shirt. I, I just, I don't get mobile obsessions. They're like little hanging whatevers. I mean, you know, like the posters and stuff, I just think it's just sort of a thing you could potentially do if you really wanted to 2000 AD up your 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 bedroom, you know? Yeah, that's pretty fair. And I mean, with how many fucking fishing uh, adverts we've seen, it's not like these kids probably don't have twine. I definitely remember being like 10 or 12 and think it'd be really cool to have a bunch of crazy stuff hanging off my ceiling, like model planes and other things like that. Like, and like a, a, big, like, a mobile uh, would be part of that, guy. you know? Yeah, but, you know, yeah. posters are for the wall, not for the ceiling, you know? <laughs> oh, dude. Well, I mean. Let's not get into it. Yeah. <laughs> in, uh, in Prague 81, Johnny Alpha shows down with the penultimate form of, of a Willy Blanco. It's taken my best shot and it still won't die. Just good as as Kara stuff here. Uh, Dash Decent returns with a tr- with the trio of sci-fi tropes. Uh, Dash, the professor, and lady cab drivers. They're forced to put on sort of stereotypical sci-fi clothes. There, yeah. Then they then they meet up with the Emperor Pong, who was flying his asteroid to Earth, only to swerve away the last minute because he's like a stunt asteroid driver. Yeah. Uh, Dash grabs Pong and threatens to punch him. 
Pong pulls his trapdoor lever, but forgets that Dash is holding on to them, and both of them fall into a pit of evil stuff below the throne room. In the nerve yeah. center... Okay. Oh, uh, I was just saying, uh... Yeah. Yeah. In the nerve center, Tharg is the Beetlejuicean with no name. A writer oh, asks... Which is awesome. <laughs> it's very cool, very Clint... Yeah, the, the Clint Eastwood Tharg. A writer asks a very confusing question about the origin of the word credo, and a female writer asks for more separation between boy and girl comics. Boo! Yeah, don't separate them. Just make a good fucking female character. We've seen a few. Hey, it's coming soon. Uh, in Prague 182, these blocks are under arrest! A, uh, a classic badass dread cover by Brian Bolland in Dash mm-hmm. Decent... The pit is full of evil eyes that are basically just evil eye monsters. Dash yeah. decent smoosh, smoosh, smooshes a couple and builds a ramp out of the rest, saving Emperor Pong, who grants Dash the ultimate prize, marrying his daughter, Afolia. Dash makes a, makes a dash for it. Yeah, pretty much. She's a, she's a little weird looking, but also like gross eye stuff. And, eh, mm. Dash decent. Yeah. Judge Tharg appears in the nerve center. Letters ask for an adaption of the War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. Not enough thrill power. And to bring back Future Shocks. Dude, yes! Future Shocks! As mentioned in a previous prog, there's a lot of duplicate Tharg pictures in here. So this prog just prints a couple of them. Just prints a couple like punk Thargs and heavy metal Thargs, basically. Get more Tharg diversity, kids of 1980. It's a teddy boy. It's like a kind of suit from like the 60s or something like that. Right. Like, do you remember in ABC Warriors, there were those um, Cyboons? Yeah. And one of those Cyboons wore like a suit and stuff. Oh, yeah, the son? Yeah, he was wearing like a teddy boy suit, apparently. It's a, it, you know, I think of it as an English thing. I can't explain it better than that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Sorry, do my best, you know. In, oh, in, that's perfect. <laughs> In 183, Massimo Bellardinelli provides the iconic Meltdown Man cover. We're caught in a death trap. It's super sweet. I love Bellardinelli. Yeah, man. He's really really at the height of his powers with his Meltdown Man stuff. Um, Charles Water is super cool. Yeah, this cover is real neat. On the uh, on the run from the Emperor uh, Pong and his ugly daughter, uh, Professor Zellamy gives chase as Dash Decent runs afoul of some mud monsters. Sorry, some compost monsters. That he beats up by getting him to punch his rock hard chin. Hooray! Hey, look, he did it, I guess. Yeah, next episode on Dash Decent, The Fangs of Fear. So, with the t shirt contest done, it's time for another multi issue cutout contest. This time for a pair of sweet roller skates. Oh, roller skates are dope. Yeah, runners up get a Walter poster, though, weirdly, there's 50 grand prizes of skates and 20 uh, secondary prizes of, uh, of posters. There's also a pretty funny picture of just the regular stock photo of Tharg, but with the roller skates tossed on. So, so in the nerve center, there's a picture of Tharg with the writing Tharg underneath him, right? What is this an homage to? I feel like it's like an action movie, like a a Rambo or something like that. Mm. I don't know if it's actual Rambo or some other thing. In my notes, I I said it was Deadly Prey Tharg, but... uh, (laughs) Like... Like the opening Zardoz? of that movie. Maybe, man, but I don't know. It does look very familiar, but I, I can't place it fully. Um, yeah, it's weird. But Tharg demands that everybody tell their friends about 2000 AD. There's also some complimentary letters to Rojaws and a kid asking for info about the winner of a Harlem Hellcats match in Prague 86, which I thought was kind of interesting. It's easy oh, to that's for- cool. 
Yeah, it's easy to, easy to forget that back in the day you could it'd be possible to miss a prog or two and not have anybody who had one, and there's not really a good way to get back issues or anything like that. So sometimes you just sort of miss how a story ends, basically. And that's like ah, that's like the good stuff. You can't buy all of them, Tharg. I mean, you know, you could listen to Space Bad Spinner two thousand forty years later. Oh, oh! If you missed it, we'll cover it. Ah, kismet! All right. Oh my god, perfection. <laughs> so, hey, speaking of uh, crazy sports outcomes, Fox. Mm-hmm. Thrill four, mean arena. This continues to get strange. Oh yeah. <laughs> So, script robot for Mean Arena's Tom Tully, art robots John Richardson, lettering robots Pete Knight. So, Matt Talon scores, but everyone's pissed off that he's shot another player. Talon defends his actions, though, claiming that that player was a robot. Why why does that matter? Apparently, it's legal, while it's legal for teams to have robot players, though robot players can be shot and destroyed with no real recourse. But you have to know they're a robot first, I guess. That's right. Because the team seems super surprised that he's an android. Yeah, there's like, one of the things is telling people that robots shouldn't, that you should avoid having robots on the team because they can be killed indiscriminately. And if they pretend to be humans, the team members can become unnaturally attached to their robot teammates. Yes, one of the teammates is. He's like, he's my best friend in the world. I'm going to fucking murder this guy. That's right. That's rule 22 of street football, buddy. Play restarts, and a rogue pass from a sl- from Slayer member Venner hits Talon on the back of the head. He recovers, oh. but suddenly sees a rival player as a big scary monster. What the heck? Oh. Uh, Talon manages to regain his senses, though, and continues to make fools of the Warriors team, dodging their various attempts to trap him. He uses a, yeah. a limpet mine to blow a hole in a wall and gets Dude, another so score cool. for the Slayers. Definitely super cool. But now it's 81-25. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're really making up for some lost time, I guess. <laughs> After the score, though, one of the Warriors pulls a gun on Talon also invoking Rule 22, and preparing to gun Talon down, saying the Talon's a robot! Which, you know, if you know that, I get... Like, what if you're wrong? Like, what happens in that situation where you gun down someone who's for real? I think you're kicked out of the game, you know? No, that doesn't seem all that bad. Mm. After So, after taking a prog off, we're back with the Wakefield Warriors accusing Matt Talon of being a, a robot... Um, a timeout is called as Talon claims to not be a robot, even though he set off the Warriors' robot detector. It turns out he's got a robot hand, a cyber hand, that's tripping the scanners. He had a scanner detonator, but he got rid of it when he previously quit street football. The game's back on. Yeah, and the referee was giving him some back chat for that one. Mm-hmm. Talon makes a dramatic pass to Red Rogan to score another goal. The game ends with the Slayers losing 81-27, but it's a moral victory thanks to the turnaround at the end of the game. Yeah, it was just really good murder ball. And look, he's a team player. He doesn't just run it all by himself. Nah, exactly. So, but now it's time for questions. What's Matt Talon doing in England? Why is he playing for a crappy team like the Slayers? Do we even want to know? Next episode, it's time Slater's Slayers crawled out of the gutter. Well, I, uh, spoilers, you know? Hey, that just means it's time. It doesn't mean that they actually do it. So who knows? That that's that maybe they missed their opportunity. <laughs> oh God, this uh, this has some very uh, 
Hellcats kind of feel to it with, uh, God, what was his name? Rockin' Hawk? Yeah, I, I forget. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that's interesting is that both the Hellcats and the and the Slayers here both have the name, uh, both have a, a teammate named Venner, which is kind of a weird thing. Oh, yeah. Is that maybe homage? Or, I don't know. Who knows? Some guy's granddad or something? It's hard to tell. <laughs> I have an uncle named Werner. All right. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, that Maybe guy sounds a murder ball player. That guy sounds pretty tough. And speaking of things that are mighty, Fox. Oh my God! Thrill Five, Tharg the Mighty. He really wanted to put himself in a lot of these. A lot of Tharg this, this month. month. Most of the writings uncredited for Tharg this month. There's three Tharg stories. Art and all of them's by Carlos Escara. Letting robots are the Aldrich Mark II and Tony Jacobs. So well, I mean, I, we know who wrote it. Well, like the, I mean, theoretically, it's Tharg. But <laughs> so I'm just saying, like, more he's practic- really good at yeah. writing himself. <laughs> Definitely. So, the first story is Tharg and the Thrill Suckers. First, we meet the new assistant editor droid for 2000 AD, Burt, based on a real assistant editor, Richard Burton, who will be the assistant editor until, like, 1987, when he becomes full editor. Anyhow. Yeah. Bert is kind of bumbling and says, um, erm, and er a lot, so I feel an instant kinship to him. He's, he's instantly run ragged by all the other droids in the office, including the sour-faced Tom Frame droid. Bert Which is, is awesome. <laughs> this is our first time seeing the Tom Frame droid. No, we've seen him once or twice, I think. That's why I recognize him. Yeah, he kind of hangs around. So, Bert is exhausted and goes to sleep on a pile of reader letters when it's revealed that he's infested with thrill suckers! Which are weird mushrooms with eyeballs and mouths and elephant trunks suck on you. They're weird, absolutely. They're tiny monsters. They feed on thrill power! A huge horde infests the 2080 offices and the whole crew is put to sleep. So what do you do if you're Tharg? I guess you just start spraying everything, including the entire world. He fumigates Bert and then leaps into 2080 action. Uh, or, sorry, he fumigates Bert and Bert sort of uh, rushes to work at super speed. And then Tharg, yeah, he he puts together a massive, bu- one of those old-timey bug sprayer things, which he then flies up and down the British Isles, destroying swarms of thrill suckers that have infested that green and pleasant land. Dude, it just does not seem safe. He's covering, like, the entire land with DDT. You know, it was a different time in 1980. Look, there's only one cure, one real cure for thrill suckers, Fox, and that's the incredible thrill power of 2000 AD. Spread the word. Okay. I mean, now I'm down. Definitely. I wasn't going to spread the word before, but now it's like, it's on. You better. <laughs> Next Tharg story is Tharg Strikes Back which is finally an explanation for why there were no progs for a month this summer. Or I guess the summer of 1980. Yeah, you can blame those uh, those super gross what's-its, the the Dictators of Zrag. Yeah, they consulted the hag of Zrag, and she magically (laughs) caused all the droids in 2000 AD to strike for, like, some pay. Not more pay, (laughs) but but pay in, in... 
in 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 general. Um, Greater than zero will do. Indeed, Tharg, of course, fires them all and starts making 2080 himself. But every version of 2080 that Tharg creates is so powerful that it blows out. It causes so much thrill power that the pages nearly explode. They have to be like taken away to some like atomic waste landfill in a in a truck where the guys can't see the actual pages and stuff. Um, I mean, like he is mighty. Definitely. All is going well until one of the dictator's goons goes go tired of not having new 2080 progs and alerts <laughs> Tharg to the situation. Tharg hits the dictators and the hag with a Rigelian hotshot and puts the droids really back to work. Rigelian hotshot's the, now the go-to Tharg weapon. He's going to start sending it, sicking it on like uh, people in the nerve center and stuff like that. It does not look like a pleasant experience. You mm-hmm. shoot in spirals into space. Definitely. Um, he puts the droids back to work at severely reduced wages to pay for the damage caused by his overloaded progs, but how do you cut nothing? Uh, well, I guess they owe him money now. Exactly. So, final Tharg story is Tharg saves the day! This one is actually written by scriptroid John Wagner. So, um, script robot um, Howard is not producing um, enough thrill in his scripts. We get- Come on, bud. This takes us to a cool look inside the 2080 offices as Metquake oversees the writing stations of writing droids TB Grover, Alvin Gaunt, and Pat Mills, who's currently on the phone. Um, He's like whipping him, like whipping them with like a cat of nines. That's right. You got to make those scripts, buddy. God, I love Metquake. Yeah, Howard claims to be overworked, which is realistic when you remember that John Wagner actually writes like half the comics in each in each prog. Jeez. Oh, and Tharg takes pity on him. He summons an army of Squawks Dex Thargos to to cheer on Howard and Art Droid Brian Bolland as they create a comic live in Wembley Stadium. There's never been quite a turnout like this, Bob. I love um. Uh, our droid ball and like whenever these whenever they draw the uh, droids as having big beards and stuff it's very funny to me oh yeah like it's like super bizarre <laughs> I like it but um so yes the, the Webley Stadium Walter and Bert provide color commentary um things go well until the dictators of Zrag throw rotten fruit at Howard boo so let's start a fight yeah the action is fun, as Tharg calls, like, penalties for bad story choices and stuff. But eventually, the Howard droid draws a red card for giving Dread wings in a, dip- in, in a story. And he's kicked off the pitch. Get out of here. It's time for me to get to work. That's right. Instead, Tharg clones himself to finish up the story. Tharg is victorious! He, like, jumps over doing some somersaults and spirals, throw down the typewriter shoots off his boots, types with his feet, then floats in the air, starts typing with his hands, then upside down, and then gets some like a trophy from the Squawks deck Thargo Thargian. He's and a then grows super huge. He's an actual showman, dude. Yeah, he's he's something. <laughs> so postscript, uh Tharg is a cool dude. Script robot Howard is put in charge of reception at the command module, and that's it for um the pen name of John Howard in 2000 AD for the most part. Like, we should keep an eye out for who's writing Dread now. Because this week, oh, wow. after the Judge Child saga ended, Alvin Gaunt took over. And I think T.B. Grover is going to start writing when um when Wagner and Grant sort of take back over on um, Dread. 
Really? Okay. Yeah, I think they're sort of like at this point, Wagner and Grant have started sort of be, have started their long term sort of writing partnership, mm. and so I think they want to change they, they want to change the pen name to reflect the two of them teamed up basically. And so oh, cool. it was time to retire the Howard name, also because that pseudonym got burned in the 2008 in the uh, Judge Dread annual in the history of, in that history of Dread thing. Ah, uh, or that's my assumption about it, at least. This all makes sense. Just weirdly. interesting kind of inside baseball stuff, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> no, I like it. Yeah. Thanks, so, man. but that takes us to our final thing this week, Fox. Oh yeah, it's time for some robots. Thrill six. Rojas Robo Tales. No, oh, Rojas, you are the best. Yeah. First story, script robot Gary Rice, art robot Dave Gibbons, letter robot Tom Frame. Actually, that's a credit for both of them now that I'm thinking about it. Anyhow, um... Tom Frame? Uh, Ethel and Norbert are this are a married couple, and Norbert is a huge slob. Ethel <sighs> buys a tidy up droid to clean up the place, seemingly out of spite, and Norbert is not pleased by this purchase. Yeah, because he likes kind of being a slob, and he's, also a robot took his job. And yeah, yeah, he's really into being a slob, which is as a slob is a really weird thing. I would love a robot that would just walk around vaporizing waste. Um, yeah, and but so how do you react to this situation? Well, Norbert attacks the droid, damaging its vaporizer unit, and then that night he axe murders Ethel, which he has the which, droid clean up. I just feel like that's a little bit of an overreaction. It escalates quickly, for sure. But because <laughs> the droid's vaporizer can't destroy the waste, a garbage man finds Ethel's bones in the trash can, and Norbert is and, arrested. And, but he gets weird with it. He's like, hey, I found a skull. Alas, poor Yorick. I knowed him well. Definitely needs like, a, He definitely has to wait for a second opinion before he starts freaking out about finding human bones in a trash can. Well, the other guy's like, bro... You're holding a human skull. You, like, need to report this. And he's like, oh. Oh, yeah. yeah that's- <laughs> Good point. Okay. <laughs> it's just like, what? I, li- I like that guy's lackadaisical response to uh, obvious murder, you know? Yeah, it's just like, oh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Make a city. Second rope. Second. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah. So now Norbert is uh, a- Norbert is arrested. He's sent to jail. Now he has to clean his prison cell every morning. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> That's the twist. Definitely. Uh, the second story, there's a scientist. He's theorizing that time is a flat circle, true detective style. He gets oh he gets he gets laughed at because he's not like a hot southern dude. Anyhow, yeah. he, he's built That's a time amazing. machine. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, he sometimes sometimes the messenger is is as important as the message, Fox. That's the answer. <laughs> He's no Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's no, no Carl Sagan. No Matthew McConaughey. So, um, <laughs> no Matthew McConaughey. He's built a time machine, but because it travels through time, it basically vaporizes living tissue. So he's also built a time robot named HG to time travel. It seems like a good idea. Yeah. HG travels into the future to find Earth destroyed. Traveling a bit further back, he finds a deserted Earth with little remaining besides a plastic book detailing the end of the world. Wow. I mean, yeah, it seems like what you do, I guess. Yeah. A starship-shaped parasite arrived on Earth called the Metal Eater. 
It ate all the metal on Earth. Match. And once all the, you know, regular metal was gone, it started eating all the metallic elements inside living beings. Not great. Now all life has been destroyed and the remnants of civilization as well. Uh, HG returns to the present. It's a bummer for sure. But how did that parasite arrive on Earth anyway? Maybe it came from outer space? Or maybe it's attached to the foot of HG. Time is a flat circle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, you did that thing that sometimes happens in time. Oh, you ate it up, you maniacs. He's he's a... Oh my god. (laughs) You've been planting the apes in it up. A little bit. Uh, It's, you know, he's a butterfly affecting now. Definitely. Um, Yeah. Good job, Bro Jazz. Definitely. Absolutely. Always fun with Robo Tales. Hey, but Fox, that's it for Thrills this month. Oh my god! So, let me ask you the most important question. What was your top thrill for this October 1980? Alright, so I am going with Judge Dredd this week. Nice. Um, but first and foremost, like Strontium Dog, we were half and half. Like, I'm waiting for this Hitler thing to ramp up. Something tells me it's going to be great. I really, 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 really like Meltdown Man, but also same sort of situation. I, we haven't really gotten into the real crux of the beatdowns. We've just run away, like, once from the dude. Mm-hmm. But with Judge Dredd, like, first off, there was a giant volcano explosion and taking out the Angel Gang, judging the Judge Child, going back, and then just getting to fucking work on arresting just damn near everybody, <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah. Like, it was just so dready, dready, dread. And, uh, like, after this, like, long arc of the Judge Child, which was amazing, I feel like it ended really well, and it's still reverberating in his own story. So, like, I find that kind of interesting, even though the story is, is essentially done. Um, they're starting to pick up more and more of just keeping those references in there, even when it's like, oh, it's time for, like, a Judge Dread break or something. Yeah. All right. So, what's your uh, really, what's your... really good art on the volcano, by the way? I oh, yeah. Loved all of those scenes. Yeah, Ron Smith going crazy with that stuff. So, what is your uh, bottom thrill? What are the least thrill power for you this week? Uh, no, and this is not to like put it in a bad category. It's Mean Arena. Like, I do like that they're putting out some rules. They're not really talking about it as much, but like, whatever. This first game's kind of weird and like the rules are a bit strange and i think kind of contradictory like why would people who are kind of like they kind of want to die or or are on their deathbed want to join this game if it wasn't going to kill you like Mm -hmm. these people have weapons like they have actual weapons that will hurt you but you're not allowed to kill anybody unless they're a robot and i'm just like well then it's not i feel like the brass kind of were just like you can't make this a, a kill game Mm-hmm. And that and that's kind of a kill joy, if you know what I mean. Oh, you son of a bitch! Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much all I got to say on it. The art's excellent, you know. Yeah. Um the story is just kind of getting started, and I'm getting I'm getting interested in it. And all in all, it was not like a bad series of progs by any stretch. Sure. So how about you, Conrad? What was the highest thrill power that you received from this horror comic book? Oh, man. Maximum thrill power has got to be Judge Dredd, buddy. Oh, for sure. Um, The end of the Judge Child. And like you said, yeah, getting back to Mega City 1 and just picking back up right where he left off, arresting huge swaths of people just (laughs) 
on the power of his awesome dreadness, you know? It's just what you're looking for, all this stuff. I love mm-hmm. the the dark turn that the Judge Child took and sort of the yeah. bummer ending of like just like all of this was for nothing and just sort of going on from there will sort of deal with the problems as they come and stuff. Yeah, like it well, it's setting I think as you said, sort of, you know, in the last couple episodes, like Judge Shred's changing a little bit and like the heavier tone definitely fits the the series. Yeah. But yeah. Like this, this was a very different arc than we're used to. Yeah, I mean, just the the level of like I'd say direct violence at the end of this is very interesting. Like when Dread throws Junior into the lava, that's just a whole different thing than we've seen Dread be in previous um, stories and stuff. I thought very but fucking intense. Still in character, but just yeah, way more intense than it usually is. All right, well then, uh, what was your what was the least thrill power power? Uh, you know. Story? You know, I always feel kind of weird when we just agree on things, but I got to say it's me. Solidarity! Yeah, you know, um, I mean, like you said, this is another thing where it's just like they're, we're really getting, bringing in real weird advanced rules sort of out of nowhere very early in this story. Like all this droid stuff is very weird and hard to explain, basically. Um, and I wish they'd kind of left it out a little bit, but you know, Tom Tully loves these huge cliffhangers that sort of then reca- then sort of wrap around each other and stuff. It means things go kind of slow, um, but still make some progress and remain interesting and stuff. But it's also sort of, it makes it really, um, it does sort of, to me, really stand out against, say, the Judge Child saga where things are moving along or moved along at a really fast pace and sort of everything is sort of flowed to the next is very little recapping. And same thing with Meltdown Man, which is this huge, massive arc that um, just keeps going and doesn't have a ton of like, you know, all right, the first page is the last page of last week's product, oh, something yeah, I like hate that, that. You know, I just, I hate it so much. It's the same problem we had with it last time. Like I, what I find funny is that we're we're fans of the future sport comic. Like I, I, I feel just, like we're more fans of the concept of future sports. Yeah, you know exactly. We're just sort of interested in things that that are different than our usual stuff. You know, but you know they could always start at like Harlem Heroes, which I mean, yeah, did sort of have like a storied first Prague, but like mm-hmm. from there they really got into like this is how Aeroball works, and then yeah. here's the rest of it. No, definitely like, they get the f- it one yeah. and done, and then just go. No, the first thing for for, for Harlem Heroes, like the first the first thrill for Harlem Heroes, like the first episode of it is just here's the rules of Aeroball, you know, which but, is enjoyable. Yeah, like, then you can just follow along without thinking about it. Exactly. But yeah, so you know, whatever. Yeah, solidarity this time. Dread on top, Minorina on the bottom. I feel like that. Well, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Um, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. You can always find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitch, or the Google Play Store, or our podcast site at Cradaline.com. Feel free to contact us at Space Spinner 2000 at gmail.com, or our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages, or on the 2080 forums. On Twitter, we're Space Spinner 2K. If everything else, just look up Space Spinner 2000 and we should be there. Come back next Monday as Auto Sump returns with a whole new business plan. Hitler finally gets his just desserts. We'll get some backstory on Matt Talon and things will get weird as we begin to return to Armageddon. 
Ooh. Also, this Thursday, our Space Spinner Collector Editions roll on with one of our all-time favorite launch 2000 AD thrills, Invasion. Oh, hell yeah. You guys are going to love it. If, yeah. you're, uh, if you're interested in kind of knowing the whole thing, check it. Check, take a listen. It's one of my our favorite Definitely. Uh, comic books pretty much ever. Yeah, get your shotgun ready as Bill Savage rides again. Oh, yeah. God, I love Invasion. For sure. Until next time, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendid Birth Rig! Splendid Birth Rig! <laughs> <laughs>